Hello, and welcome to the AAMFT podcast. Your all-access pass to the latest news developments and thought leaders in the world of systemic therapy. We strive to relate, educate, and innovate one episode at a time. I'm your host, Dr. Eli Karam, and we're brought to you by the American Association for Marriage and Family Therapy. Our podcast explores topics that relationship-based therapists care about. In addition to featuring unique conversations and interviews with established experts, our show provides information and education on direct practice and emerging trends in the MFT profession. For more information, please visit us at aamft.org. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. What does it mean to be an integrative systemic therapist? That word integrative is thrown around a lot and it means different things to different therapists. Integrative therapy is an approach to treatment broadly that involves selecting the techniques from different therapeutic orientations best suited to fit a client system's particular presenting issues. By tailoring the therapy to the individual client system, integrative therapists hope to produce the most significant results. Unlike many single-school approaches, integrative therapy is not restricted to a particular methodology or school of thought. Instead, therapists can draw on different techniques as they're needed. Let me tell you about our two guests and, and major influences in the field of systemic therapy integration and personally on my professional path over the past 22 years. I'm talking about Doug Brenlin and Bill Russell. For over four decades, Doug Brenlin has been an innovator in psychotherapy integration, working at places like the Family Institute in Cardiff, Wales, the famed IJR Institute of Juvenile Research in Chicago, and for the past three decades, the Family Institute at Northwestern University. And Doug Brenlin has served on the board of Family Process. He's been on the board of the American Family Therapy Academy, AFTA. It's also recognized in 2020 for a Lifetime Achievement Award from that organization. Many of you know him as the co-author, along with former AMFT podcast guest Dick Schwartz and Betty McCune-Carr of MetaFrameworks. He's also the co-author of Integrative Systemic Therapy, along with Bill Russell, that we will be talking about today. Doug's partner in crime, Bill Russell, also a practicing MFT for over four decades, has devoted his life to the training of the next generation of MFTs and pioneered integrative systemic therapy. He's done everything there is to do at the Family Institute at Northwestern, including being the director of the master's program previous to Doug. And he is also the lead author of the IST chapter in the 2016 Handbook of Family Therapy and the co-author of 2017's Integrative Systemic Therapy, along with Doug. They'll talk about their book just released two weeks ago, Integrative Systemic Therapy in Practice, a Clinician's Handbook. We will be back after the interview. Eli, back with you on the AAMFT podcast, being joined by two longtime mentors and personal friends of mine, 
Doug Brinlin and Bill Russell. And before we talk about the topic of the day, systemic therapy integration, which these gentlemen are both experts in, the first question always, Bill and Doug, is we like to know about our experts and know a little bit about your story, but tell us how you first journeyed into systemic thinking and specifically MFT. Eli, thank you so much for having us here today. It is a joy, as always, to be with you very much and enjoy our friendship over the years. Not to go too far back with my journey, but I did begin as a clinical social worker way back when. And in my work with adolescents who had severe behavior disorders in a school setting, I began to have significant concerns about learning to work with the families. And I had a couple of family therapy courses in grad school, but I didn't really feel like I knew enough about the work to be able to accomplish what I wanted to accomplish. So I did a little research and looked around and contacted Doug Brenlin at the Institute for Juvenile Research and asked Doug if he'd come out to do a training. This is maybe 1980 or so. And Doug came out and did initial training on family therapy with adolescents. And we evolved that into more of an ongoing training, including the use of live supervision with some of the cases we had there in the school system. So that's how I got initially interested, and it led me to IJR. And uh, that was a very significant development for me because of the very important work that was going on there. Tell us of your origin story, Doug, as both Bill and Doug are first-generation family therapist. And one of the entryways into the field was social work, which both Bill and Doug share in common. But Doug, you started out as an engineer. I did start out as an engineer, Eli, and I would actually back my story up into my undergraduate training where I did dual degrees. One was in English literature and one was in aeronautical engineering. And then the English literature taught me systemic thinking because we were reading novels which were painting life on a very large landscape of characters. And so I just got used to thinking about systems of characters in order to understand the narrative of the novel. And then I went to work for NASA, and I was a true rocket scientist for three years. So if somebody says that's not rocket science, I always know whether they're right or wrong and really enjoyed that. But in the meantime, got very interested in running a youth group with a bunch of high school kids. And when it was all said and done and the draft was over and I didn't need my occupational deferment anymore, I said, hey, I like working with real people better than I like working with the literature of them. I went to graduate school in social work at Case Western Reserve, and lo and behold, the entire graduate program was grounded in systems theory. So every course we took had a systems base to it, and we also had a couple of family therapy courses packed in along the way, but I got my graduate degree and then headed off to this place in Wales called the Family Institute, and from there, my world of therapy took on an almost exclusive systemic bent. And you guys were in on the ground floor, first generation family therapist in the 1970s. You met in 1980. Who were your biggest early influences at that point of your career before you guys met up? For me, my 
early influences were outside of the field of family therapy. I had uh, important mentors within the field of social work and in the field of education. Mike Biskupski was one of them, Robert Ratzel. These are just important people who helped me become the professional that I became. Neither one of them were particularly systemic in their approach. My influence within the world of MFT and systemic thinking really was a function of my involvement with IJR. So Doug was one of my early influences. Betty McHugh Carr had been my mentor for supervision. Dick Schwartz, of course, was there. So I would say that's a very strong influence on me. And as we may address this later, of course, our move to the Family Institute had important influence as well. Yeah. And I would say that one of the interesting things about working with Bill for over three decades is there's a lot of interweaving of our narratives based on the volume of contact that we had with each other and the amount of work we did together. But I always say, Eli, that one of the blessings that I have in my career is to have always been fortunate enough to have really good people to work with. So when I found my way to the Family Institute in Wales, Brian Cade, who's a world-renowned strategic therapist, and Sue Walron Skinner, a world-renowned psychodynamic therapist who had trained at the Ackerman, were there, and I had a chance to work with them. And then years later, when I came back and settled back in the United States and took my job at IJR, Celia Falikoff was there. Dick Schwartz, the creator of IFS, came a year later. And then when Celia left, Howard Little, creator of MDFF, came and was the director for a number of years before I took over as director. Then Lee Combert Graham came and she was the director of IJR for a number of years. So those people were deeply entrenched in structural family therapy, very high class systemic thinkers. And it was like going to a conference every day, just being able to hang out with them. And then as Bill pointed out, we finally both migrated toward the Family Institute at Chicago then. It's called that then. It's called the Family Institute at Northwestern University now. But Bill Pinsoff and Jay LeBeau, they were all at the Institute. So the beat goes on. And the only thing I would say is because I worked at the Family Institute at Wales, IJR, and the Family Institute at Northwestern, that it's just not possible for me to work anywhere that doesn't have Institute in the name. It may not make the family therapy textbook, the Institute of Juno Research, but all those people you just mentioned, Dick Schwartz, Howie Little, Celia Falikov, all been guests in our four-season run on the podcast and talk about that place so fondly as a think tank, as you say, Doug, where you look forward going to work every day and thinking in this way and what we're going to talk about being integrative in a second. But for those people that don't know, and maybe you only heard it on this podcast, what made IJR so special, gentlemen? Yeah, I can speak to the perspective of one of the trainees because I did enter that realm as a trainee. And yeah, it was a think tank and really the bold, rebellious Systemic thinking was of great appeal at that point in time. And it meant a lot that uh, I think in many ways we were bucking the system and looking for a whole new way of conceptualizing the problems that the clients bring to therapy. The other component of it is that it was all live supervision. 
So after a lecture, we would convene in our supervision groups, and it would just be two, maybe three live interviews in a row. And that's how all the training was done through the live interviews. And of course, in those days, this is postgraduate training. So these were established social workers, psychologists, occasionally a psychiatrist who entered the program. The other thing about IGR, and I think Doug had a big hand in this, was that it had a way of involving the folks who trained there and giving them opportunity to do a variety of things at IJR. And I was the beneficiary of some of that in terms of doing some teaching and some supervision. So that was really much appreciated. The last part that occurs to me about IJR is it's no longer there. So it was very special in its time, and now it's gone. So there's, I think, maybe a little bit of a Camelot aspect to our stories about IGR because it is about something that was great and something that no longer exists there. Although, as Doug said, we did export it to the Family Institute. So many of us from uh, IGR did move to the Family Institute, which became another exciting place to be. Yeah, let me just piggyback off of what Bill just said. The Family Systems Program which was the training arm of IJR that produced family therapists. That went out of being a number of years ago, shortly after Betty McCune Carr left the program and came over to the Family Institute at Northwestern. IJR itself does still exist. It's got a brand new building. I just completed a series of talks for the child psychiatry department. It, it's always been firmly embedded within the Department of Psychiatry. A couple of little tidbits about IJR. It didn't do a great job of branding itself, but it competes with the Judge Baker Center in Philadelphia as the child guidance clinic in the world. And for years, when the Family Systems Program was in its heyday, Irv Borstein was the director, and he brought every famous family therapist you could name to spend a day showing his or her work to the staff. We had a tape library that was second to none. And unfortunately, when the family assistance program broke up, the tape library was destroyed. That's like the library in Constantinople being destroyed back in the very early days. Ache every time I think about the many times I watched those tapes. And Carl Whitaker was the chief consultant, the family systems program. We're deeply steeped in his way of systemic thinking. And at one point, I proposed to Virginia Satir, who was working at a sister agency across the street from IGR, that ISPE, the Illinois State Psychiatric Institute, be set up as a unit that housed families, and it came very close to being something that happened. And if it had, IJR would be like the Philadelphia Child Guidance Clinic of Modern Family Therapy. But it is a wonderful place with a lot of deep history. And if you look at the publications that came out of there, it's phenomenal. The last thing I'll say that the word research. At what point, there were over 300 researchers at IJR, and all of the seminal research on gangs that was done in the 50s and early 60s comes out of IJR. Bill described it as Camelot, and 
those other luminaries that you mentioned that have been on the show, they describe it in very similar ways. And Doug, you tell that story because to me it is, it should be thought of in the same vein as Philadelphia Child Guidance. And then I never knew that story between Naj and Satir. Now, when people talk about integration, people say, I'm integrative or I'm eclectic. That means something different to everybody. And I think what we'll talk about today in this approach that you all have developed and refined over the last 30 years, it's a certain type of integration. We'll call that theoretical integration, a meta theory of how to combine theories, if you will. But let's start first. What does that mean to you all? Systemic therapy integration, in your own words, what does that mean? I think it's important to emphasize both the word systemic and integration. So it's a systemic approach and that we're very interested in the influences of the multi-level system in clients' lives. So that's extraordinarily important for us in terms of trying to convene families or parts of families if that's necessary, but also in terms of working with individuals, we would be thinking about their involvement in their multi-level system. So that's a systemic, and the word integrative for us is very important as well. Integration for me, the way I think about it is that instead of introducing the client to a model and having them adapt to your model, you're adapting the models and indeed the field to the client. That, for me, is the essential underlying concept of integration. Yeah, I love that. We often say on the show that our clients, our systems have enough problems on their own. Trying to adapt to our way of working, the therapist shouldn't be another one of those. We should be skillfully able to adapt to them. I love that, Bill. Doug, same question. Yeah, I think the systemic part, the piece that I would add is the influence of Gregory Bateson on thinking in the field and the notion of an ecology. And one of the things that Bateson was so adamant about was that so often we engage in what he called ecology chopping. And what that means is that when you chop up the ecology and look at just one piece of it, you don't see how that piece fits into the whole ecology, and therefore tons of information is lost. So it isn't just about what is gained by thinking systemically, it is about also how you prevent something being lost by systemic thinking. And with regard to integration, I think the big thing that distinguishes true integration from eclecticism is the meta-theoretical stance, which means that in order to integrate across models of family, couple, and individual therapy, you have to be able to pull the essential core of those models out of their own framework and relocate them within the meta-theoretical framework of any integrative perspective. And we call ours, of course, integrative systemic therapy, and we don't need to get into them, but there's a whole series of conceptual platforms that the whole perspective rests upon and without that, it would not, in my view, be true integration. Many people may know Doug Brenlin from it's actually 30 years old now, 1992, we're in 2022. The first meta theory is meta frameworks along with two people he's already mentioned, Betty McCune Carr, my first supervisor, believe it or not. 
and uh, Dick Schwartz of Internal Family Systems. So now 30 years later, Doug, what are you most proud of that has come from the Meta Frameworks, which obviously gave rise to integrative systemic therapy and the Family Institute model as we now know it, but what are you most proud of that comes from Meta Frameworks? Eli, one of the sad things about the book Meta Frameworks is that it was published shortly after I switched jobs and went from IJR to the Family Institute at Northwestern. And I say that because I got very preoccupied with institution building with Bill Pinsoff. We relocated the institute to Northwestern. We raised the four million bucks to build our own building. And that kind of set my agenda and I let Meta Frameworks just ride. I wish now I had done much more of the traditional road trip, but I was having a conversation the other day with a colleague of ours at the Family Institute, Aaron Cohen, and he was saying, Doug, you don't realize it, but the footprint of Meta Frameworks is probably way larger than I'm aware. I did find out at one point that over 30 schools were using the book as a core text and continue to do so. I think it's made its way around, and I don't come across many people who aren't familiar with Meta Frameworks. And what I like about it is it allows you to think systemically and biopsychosocially without regard to the models, because the word meta means above. And so each of the meta frameworks transcends the specific models. And so you can think about, for instance, the meta framework of organization as something that you can draw structural family therapy. You can draw Haley's work. You can draw Saposnik's work. It all fits right in there, and you can go straight to it without having to take the detour through the model. Yes, you articulately said that so well. And I, I do think the Meta Frameworks approach, as referenced to, if you look in your major family therapy textbooks, if you look at a licensure exam, if there is a question or part of a chapter on integrative models, the Meta Frameworks perspective is always mentioned in there. And it is the forerunner to what we're talking about today, to what you guys have really been working on for the last several decades. And I'll say some things because about training in integrative models, our listeners out there have been trained in model of the week approach. So you go to an accredited MFT program and you're exposed to many models, a lot of breadth, not much depth. And by the end of that, and based on the type of supervision you get, you pick your way of working. So many people, while they say they're eclectic or integrative, they're not extremely purposeful of why they're doing what they're doing. Whereas you gentlemen have been pioneering and certainly the way I learned to do therapy at the Family Institute was a model from the beginning of how to put these things together. Doug said it much more articulately than I could, but that you have a way from the beginning, a toolbox. I always like to think of it as you go through your training, both in graduate school and certainly beyond, to house your tools and a way to put them together. It's how I like to think about theoretical integration of which integrative systemic therapy is part of. So we've mentioned IJR, and then we've said you guys come to the Family Institute Doug in the mid-90s, Bill, shortly after. How did your time there 
expand this notion of integration. One of the things that brought me to the Institute, Family Institute, was Bill Pinsoff, whose book, Integrative Problem-Centered Therapy, he felt was very much a kindred spirit to the book Metaframeworks. And the common denominator there was both of us had a preoccupation with the concept of a sequence and the idea that problems are not embedded in a person per se, problems are embedded in an interpersonal sequence. And that understanding that sequence was the first and foremost job of the therapist. And that in order to get an accurate picture of the sequence, you needed the multidimensional triadic or more view of the sequence as provided by the mother, the father, the kids, the siblings. And so you were automatically predisposed to bring the largest unit possible into the treatment so that you could get the best possible handle on the sequence. And early on, as I said, Bill and I were spending a lot of time just get the Institute secure and stable. But we spend a lot of time talking about, is there a way to merge his work and my work? And so we created something called the Family Institute model, which was beginning cut at the whole idea of bridging those two perspectives. And then we put together a team of people in 2009, it must have been, and Bill was really instrumental in shepherding a couple of papers that were in family process in 2011. We called it Integrative Problem-Centered Metaframeworks because we couldn't figure out a way to split it up at that point. But it was essentially the precursor to Integrative Systemic Therapy, the current title of our work. And then after those papers were published, we said, let's write a book about it. So we added a couple people, Jay LeBeau and Anthony Chambers and Cheryl Rampage, and we worked for a couple of years and created the book Integrative Systemic Therapy, Problem Solving, Metaframeworks for Problem Solving with Individuals, Couples, and Families. And that came out in 2018. So it's been a pretty continuous journey. And I think Bill would be a good person to talk about how the journey was lodged very squarely in our graduate training program that was producing Masters of Science in Marriage and Family Therapy graduates. Bill, I'm going to give you the daunting task of uh, taking what is so clinically rich and multi-layered, again, a meta-integration, and for somebody that has never heard of integrative systemic therapy, breaking it down into its core elements. Doug already told us about studying sequences of interactions about systems, but uh, yeah, tell us and your part in really bringing together a lot of the who's who. As we talked about IJR is a Camelot and the Family Institute is my Camelot because all of these was a hub for integrative thinking and combining different ways of working systemically. And you were really an integrator, Bill Russell, in taking people like Bill Pinsoff, Doug Brenlin, Jay LeBeau, in finding a unified voice and bringing these things together. I'd love to hear you distill the meta model down and talk about what Doug was talking about using the training program as a way to refine the model and how you teach the model. 
One of the things about a comprehensive metamodel is it's very difficult to describe in a short period of time. <laughs> so we, we always laugh about what's the shortest, the most descriptive way we can describe IST. Before, before talking about that, though, I think a part of your question pertains to the thrust of this from point to point. And I would have to say that for me, the thrust of it came working with teaching, practicing the hybrid model that had been developed that was meta frameworks and kind of problem solving in integrative problem solving therapy and the quest for clarity and further development of that hybrid was a passion of mine and something that motivated me to want to work closely with a team that Doug described in order to develop the approach. We already mentioned that it's integrative and systemic. Essentially, it is a way of organizing the field and containing it such that we can draw what we need from the field in terms of concepts and strategies to bring to bear on the specific issues of that clients bring to therapy. I guess the, some of the core aspects of IST include, as Doug mentioned, the concept of sequence and the investment that clients' issues are embedded in sequences and the best place to start is by defining those interactive sequences and sometimes intrapsychic sequences and attempting to modify them. This is a very collaborative approach to modifying sequences. They work very closely with clients on how they see the world and what they are agreeable to try and to do. In this way, it expands the clinician's frame such that a variety of backgrounds and cultures and intersectionalities are extraordinarily important when it comes to deciding how to take the problems on. The initial work is as straightforward as possible. Let's work together and collaborate to make a change that'll make the difference. This proceeds to direct attempts to try to make a difference in the client's lives, things that they can do, say, think way they can manage their emotions to make the difference that they seek. What we are fortunate to have is a concept of, this is something that also that Doug developed way back when, and is the key to opening up the field to the client. As they struggle and have difficulty implementing more adaptive solutions, let's say, then we begin to wonder what keeps them from being able to do that. And the what keeps them from is something that can address a broad variety of factors. Those factors are on display in the MetaFrameworks book, and they're defined further in the first IST book, 2018. So I think the concept of sequence, the concept of constraint, and the collaborative alliance are key aspects of IST. Importing strategies from the various models, importing those strategies, Importing the strategies of the common factors, strategies related to the common factors, are important aspects of the work. Doug, you may have things to add to that. Or Here, let me feed you this, Doug. One of the things I remember from Doug Brennan more than anything else, that while this is a complex, again, meta-theoretical integration, there is some simplicity that holds the test of time. So yeah, you can go back and read that original paper towards a theory of constraints where Doug first articulates this knowledge. But what I remember, Doug, from you early on is the constraining question, what keeps you from, is so much better than why can't you 
do this. It, it's non-pathologizing. It brings in health and it teases which constraints are liftable and which ones are not. So I'd love to hear you talk about the web of constraints and how you came up with that languaging. Yeah, Eli, that's a whole idea of the constraint question is so central to ST and it's really derivative of Bateson's original idea of negative explanation. And Michael White, he wrote a paper in, in Australia, he used the word restraint. We repackaged it as constraint because it's so much more colloquial with the way Americans use language. But we all experience this, and if the listener would just put National Public Radio on one day and listen for 15 minutes, I could almost guarantee you, you will hear the word constraint. What keeps the Democrats from being able to have a solution to the Black Lives Matter dilemma, for instance? We could go on and on and pick examples, but... Taking this back to clinical application, if you're a husband or a wife, for that matter, or a partner sitting in a session and your partner is accusing you of lying, why you always lie to me? The question from the therapist shouldn't be, can you answer that for your partner? Why do you lie to her? It's more, what keeps you from telling the truth? And people get into all sorts of constraints. They don't want to start a fight. They don't want to be viewed as selfish. They don't want to be accused of being disloyal. So they say something that's not true. Are they trying as hard as they can to lie? No, I don't think so. And so when you unpackage that and then you put that into what we call the web of human experience, and maybe that merits some brief discussion. So if you take the biopsychosocial system with each of its levels from the, from the bio to the psycho to the social, and in between you've got couple, family, community, society, then a constraint can exist anywhere in the biopsychosocial system. And then if you cut across those concentric circles, the seven meta frameworks, then you have something that looks like a spider web. And so a constraint can exist at the level of the family in the organizational meta framework. So if you have a cross-generational coalition between two parents and a child, for instance, that would be a constraint of structure or organization at the level of the family. It's a very heuristic, simple tool for enabling therapists to very quickly read the feedback. And the clients will show you where the constraints are. You don't have to work really hard to find them. It's not like you're uncovering some deep, dark secret. And they are forthcoming more so because you ask it in the way we're teaching our students. Ask it as a negative question. What keeps you from this or that? What's getting in the way of this or that? What's stopping you from doing this or that? Wonderfully said. Are there other essential elements that if in explaining to someone that knows nothing about this meta theoretical orientation, is there other 
important elements that you think are essential to understanding the IST perspective? I think there are a couple that are important to understanding IST and also indicative of the influence of Bill Pinsoff, who worked quite a bit on the concept of the alliance prior to IST. And I think that the therapeutic alliance has been incorporated in IST in many ways, as Bill had thought about it, and consistent with some of the research that he did on it as well. The other piece I think is important from Bill Pinsoff's contribution here is the notion of how the therapy can progress. The notion that the therapy should begin with a simple, straightforward, often action-oriented approach to problem-solving and progress as needed to more complex or more psychodynamic conceptions. So I think those are two important pieces. And you see in IST that we'd like to solve the problem that the clients bring in and help them with that as soon as possible. But we understand that oftentimes the constraints that Doug have discussed can be multiple, can be sometimes challenging. This is where we bring in the different aspects of the field to address the the constraints. Just highlighting a couple of things you said there, Bill. Yeah, if you don't have an alliance, we often think of it as a necessary but insufficient form of therapy. It's hard to imagine doing any good therapy, whether it be individual, couple, or family, unless you have that alliance. So that takes precedent over any way of intervening. And then this idea of working in the here and now, the most efficient interventions that we can get feedback on and psychotherapy is a failure-driven progression. If that doesn't work, then knowing when to shift, not doing the same thing over and expecting a different result. We know that's the definition of insanity. So those are two very practical parts of this integrative approach. Hey, Doug, for people that have read Meta Frameworks and they read the 2018 book, this first Meta Integration uh, Integrative Systemic Therapy, IST, what is in the new book that is coming out just as we are releasing this podcast? So maybe this is for the people that have followed this movement and they want to know, okay, what is new in this new uh, book? Tell us the title and uh, what the reader can expect. Eli, we just received the copy edited version of that book and Bill Russell, who is the first author of the book, very kindly said, look, I'll go through the queries and uh, make sure we answer them all for our editors. So Bill has really laid eyes on this thing very recently and incredibly if you don't mind i'll punt that question to him because i think he'll probably be more cogent about it than i would thanks doug and thanks eli the title of the book is integrative systemic therapy in practice a clinician's handbook and the authors are doug bahara sahebi and myself this book is organized such that it's a little bit more of a how-to so after an initial chapter that gives an overall description of IST, each of the following chapters discusses a specific step in the process of therapy. So it goes from the first phone call when you decide who to convene for the therapy through defining the problem, locating the problem in a problem sequence. These are all chapters in the book so that there's a lot of more specific information about how to do IST. I guess the other thing I'd add to this is that it's difficult to say what the course of a therapy with a particular family will be when you use IST because you're looking at the possibility of opening up any number of interventions from any number of models of the therapy. Of therapy. So 
in describing IST, you're not able to describe all of those strategies. We have a long uh, table of strategies that we can draw upon, and that's in the book, but we can't teach and talk about every one of those strategies. So I think it's worth saying that we have IST-specific skills, and then the skills that the therapist needs to learn over the course of their career. To, if you talk about the toolbox that you mentioned, Eli, they begin to fill a bottomless toolbox. There's no bottom to it. There are any number of interventions that they could learn that exist now. And of course, the list of what is out there to learn grows every year. So it's a bottomless toolbox. And IST is the structure by which we're able to utilize those tools to fit the specific needs and patterns of the families that we work with. I could just give a brief example of what is practical and in the new book and tries to help therapists get up the learning curve through the book. So saw this family, it's very complicated. It involves a wife who has three young kids, a husband who has two young adult kids, and they're trying to put it all together and they're basically dying on the vine because of the demands of the blended family system. And they don't have the kids on the weekend, but what we call the problem sequence, the way the problem is embedded in the sequence is they blow the weekend. So the husband will spend the day on his cell phone or playing video games. The wife will putz around the house and they don't interact with each other. And so I, I said to them, this is your opportunity. This is your free time. This is one of the silver linings of a divorce that you get some days when you don't have kids underfoot all the time. Why don't you do something more constructive that can connect you better? And at first they were objecting to that, but that would be something that we call the solution sequence. So however you construct what they do as an alternative to what they were doing with the weekend before, if they can do that, then hopefully they can solve the problem or at least begin to solve the problem of why they are so disconnected. And I would say that the one tool that we haven't made reference to that originally showed up in the book Meta Frameworks, but we carried it forward into our IST work is something that we call the blueprint for therapy. So the blueprint for therapy is very simple. Every therapy model has some clinical logic like it. You have a hypothesis about something you form a plan about what you're going to do with that hypothesis. You carry on a conversation and you read the feedback. And so by having that blueprint, we can pull any theory into hypothesizing and we can pull any intervention into planning without being bound by the model itself. Now, some people feel the comfort of the model, the structure of the model, the detail of the model, but all models, they're only effective 67% of the time. So you're like leaving 30% of the people unhelped if you're not prepared to shift off of the model and onto some other perspective. And once you get to that point of preparation, I'm going to do it, then you're into failure-activated learning 
this isn't working, therefore I'm going to do something else. Then you're well on your way to integration. And I think it was David Orlinsky, Bill, who did a gigantic study of experienced psychotherapists. I can't remember what the, whether like at least 10 years worth of experience. And in that study, he found that virtually all therapists do move in the direction of becoming integrative. And they do that out of necessity. So our view is why not get started in that direction from the get-go instead of becoming married to a particular model? Because you're going to end up integrative as an experienced therapist anyway. Yes. And one of the most amazing things uh, about my training with you gentlemen and the way you describe that is because what you're saying is the reality that every frontline clinician knows. But if you're in your ivory tower and you are uh, writing or publishing your papers, but you're not clinically active, you may think that there is a uh, one model that fits everybody. And in fact, model developers, one of, one of the things that makes them effective is their allegiance in what they are doing. But the thing about the Family Institute where teaching, training, and research all goes on under one roof and faculty members are all clinically active, that is the reality, what you are saying, which why I think this approach is so intuitive and even while complex is worth a read as it gives you a framework to grow. And that's the last question, because as we all know, this is not a profession where you can age out of as long as you stay curious, as long as you are reading the feedback, as you gentlemen have mentioned. So the, the last question is, now I've been in this field for 22 years. I met you gentlemen literally on day one. So I won't give your age away, but you told us when you started. So listening to you and uh, conducting these interviews over the last four years with model developers and pioneers in family therapy, they are still as passionate late in their career as they were early. And they're not doing it for the money. They're not doing it for the fame. What keeps you gentlemen so passionate at this stage of your career? And what, if anything, would you like to be remembered for in the field of systemic therapy? I would say what keeps me going are a couple things. The students that I teach, and supervise because I'm highly invested in helping them become integrative and systemic therapists. Also, my clients keep me going and keep me on my toes and help me continue to refine my thinking. And uh, I guess lastly, the actual continued description of and refinement of the IST approach is very important to me as I think it is something that's really useful in training and uh, provides really a system of that supports lifelong learning in our field in and of itself. Yeah, Eli, I would say that when I came upon systemic thinking in family therapy back in the early 70s, I was close enough to the horizon, as it were, the Big Bang, where it all started to be created, to feel the a passion that existed that we were going to have what come to as a paradigm shift and that the whole world of mental health was going to embrace systemic thinking. And if you were in those circles where that was being touted, it was intoxicating. What we all failed to recognize was that we were a tiny little group of bandits trying to take on 
a huge army of the mental health establishment. And if you look at the field of psychiatry, the field of psychology, social work, counseling, those fields are so large that it was too ambitious to think that there would be anything like a paradigm shift. But what has happened over the years, I think, is that systemic thinking and integration have crept into the field and are still there. And I'm curious about your point of view about this, Eli, but when psychotherapy decided it had to be proven to be empirically valid, and so research started to drive what was called therapy, systems thinking and integrative thinking were driven to the perimeter of this empirical movement because it is so hard to do research on these very complex topics. It's much easier to cook it down and to say, we're going to study this one problem, we're going to study this one population, we're going to write a manual, everybody's going to do this, and then we're going to be able to control the variables enough so that we can tell whether we're getting outcome or not. I think the the message I would say, what do I want to be remembered for, is that I didn't want the pilot light of systemic thinking to be blown out. And I think there's plenty of evidence that if there aren't some people like me and Bill and you and others who are keeping the pilot light lit, we could easily see the systemic side of couple and family therapy extinguished. And increasingly, the models would just look like any other psychotherapy model. And when I'm gone and people look back, I hope what's remembered is this guy kept an eye on the pilot light. Yes, I'm not going to say it any better than that. You are singing to the choir and those listeners of the show know that I believe anything that keeps MFT as a standalone profession and not just a way of working as other disciplines sometimes think, oh, I can do family therapy, I can do couple therapy. No, there is something unique and special in the traditions that we have that is reflected in this podcast, that is reflected in my talk with Doug and Bill today that I hope never goes away. And that is a beautiful way to say it. you have kept that pilot light going. And I hope even the stories and everything that goes along with being a systemic thinker, being a family therapist, I really hope that is not lost. And I am this throwback. I was trained by first-generation family therapists. So I am this person that wants to, as part of the reason of the show, advance the field, but not losing sight of these great histories that we draw from. And this model and integration in general, what it does, and you can't be integrated if you only know one thing. So it helps you when you have a broad base and you can grow with the model and with, as we have spoken about today. But I uh, thank you guys so much. So articulate. If people, Bill, tell us again the name of the book. And if people want to correspond with you all after they listen to this interview, please tell them the best way to reach you all. The name of the book is Integrative Systemic Therapy in Practice, a Clinician's Handbook. And it's written by Doug and I and Bahara Sahabi. You can contact me at W. Russell, R-U-S-E-L-L, at family-institute.org. How about you, Doug? Just before I give the information, I think it bears mention, Eli, that this book is the first book 
of a series of books that are all devoted to the topic of integrative systemic therapy. Bill and I are two of the four editors of that series. It's a Rutledge book, and the series is being sponsored by Rutledge. So forthcoming are a book on supervision from the IST perspective, a book on couples therapy from the IST perspective, a book on working with individuals from the IST perspective, and a book on multicultural competence from the IST perspective. So for the next five to seven years, every one to two years, one book from the series will be on the shelves, and we're quite excited about that. For me, you can reach me. It's the same basic email structure. My first initial for Doug, D, and then my last name, Brenlin, B-R-E-U-N-L-I-N, at family-institute.org. Eli, back with you, bringing to a close another informative installment of the AMFT podcast where we serve to relate, educate, and innovate one episode at a time. And those are certainly two educators and innovators, Doug Brenlin and Bill Russell. Thank you, gentlemen, for your mentorship and your friendship. And I, I do believe, while complex in nature, if your whistle just got wetted around integrative systemic therapy, the book from a few years ago, including the current release and the books that will be released in the Rutledge series over the next couple of years, will be a hands-on guide to building your integrative toolbox, so to speak. We rely on you, the listener, to give us feedback. You can get a hold of me, Eli at NorthStarCounselingCenter.com. Eli Karam, that's E-L-I-K-A-R-A-M.com, where you can find out everything that's going on, including what I'm working on. We have some other exciting news to tell you about as well. And that is the 2022 Systemic Family Therapy Conference. The Systemic Family Therapy Conference, started in 2021 and sponsored by the AAMFT, is by far the most comprehensive event for systemic therapists around. It provides systemic thinkers with personal and professional development, cutting-edge clinical skills and training, and this event is going to examine the role of systemic therapy in communities and institutions and its impact globally. It's a three-day, completely virtual conference, so you're not bound by geography. As long as you have an internet connection, you can take part November 9th through 11th. It's a Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. This three-day virtual conference features workshops based around these key topics. Enhancing the systemic thinker as an individual, focusing on their personal and professional growth, number one. Number two, developing these cutting-edge clinical skills and training that propels our profession forward. And number three, integrating these MFT values, the systemic core that you hear me talk about each and every episode on the podcast into the vital communities and institutional systems that shape global society, how to be a systemic thinker and an agent of change outside of the therapy room. This conference takes a holistic approach to continuing development of family therapists. And I have also great news. Anyone listening to this podcast can take part if you are a student member of AAMFT, though, many students listen to this podcast. It's built into some of your coursework. I think that's great. Completely free, the three-day event. Professional members can attend 
the conference for $125 for the whole three days. And if you're listening to this, you're not a member of AMFT, but you're digging systemic therapy and you want to take part, only $160 for all three days. And that includes 14.5 continuing education credits. If you want to find out more, go to networks.aamft.org slash conference. The Systemic Family Therapy Conference 2022. Be there. Thank you so much for listening and supporting the show. Until next time, my friends, stay safe and stay systemic.